But here I am, and um, when Pastor Otto said, you better tuck in your shirt if you're going to do announcements, I said, how does that different from any other Sunday? So here I am still untucked. I apologize if that um, ruins everything for you. But welcome uh, to those of you online and here in the building. We're so glad to have you with us. And I just have a few announcements for us this morning. Um, One, if it's your first time being here, we're so glad that you're here. There's a little QR code on the seat back in front of you if you want to scan that. You can just give us some information about your first time here because we're just so glad to have you. If you want to find out more about us, that's the way to do it. We also wanted to share with you, we will be having a Christmas Eve service at 4 p.m. on December the 24th. And so if you want to come and just worship the Lord that evening, we'd love to have you with us. It's going to be more of a traditional candlelit service that we do every year. It's very special with a candle lighting that takes place at the end where we all sing together. It's one of my favorite services of the year. And then finally, Christmas takes place on a Sunday this year, December the 25th. We'll be having a service on that day, and it will be at 11 o'clock, and we're just going to worship the Lord with some carols, and then we're just going to um, worship him and thank him and praise him for sending his son Jesus to earth. And so that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you've come uh, prepared to give, we do have an offering box outside on the way out. You could do that, or you could text or go online to give as well. So would you please stand with us in preparation for worship? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're here to worship you today. Lord, we believe that worship prepares our heart for the word. But Lord, also in worship, you go before us, you lead us, you show us your will and your plan and your purpose for our life. And that's what we ultimately desire. As we give you glory and praise, Lord, we ask that you would lead us in this place and show us what you have for us, God. May we sing and praise loudly today because we have a God who is worthy, a God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. That's why we praise this morning. That's why we shout this morning. And God, we're going to do that in this place. Let's praise him now together. Amen. Amen. Praise me. 
place. Shout if you wanna, shout if you wanna give him thanks. Surely the Lord is, surely the Lord is in this place. Every blood bought saint, come and praise his name. Surely the Lord is, surely the Lord is in this place. Shout if you wanna, shout if you wanna give him thanks. Surely the Lord is, surely the Lord is in this place. Every blood bought saint, come and praise his name. Surely the Lord is.
saved us from our sins and when we call on his name and believe on his name we are free and we have eternal life in Jesus let's thank him and praise him today
altar of our praise. Let there be no higher name. Jesus, Son of God, you laid down your perfect life. You are the sacrifice. Jesus, Son of God, you are Jesus, Son of God. Father God, that's why we are here this morning to lift high the name of Jesus who is above every name and someday every knee will bow at the name of Jesus who is the Son of God. I pray, Father God, that you would just reveal that as a deeper truth to each and every human heart that is here this morning that we may know and lift up the name of Jesus, who is the Son of God. That is why we are here today. That is why we exist as a church, to point people to Jesus who can rewrite every life story. It is in his name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Thank you, worship team. And young ones, young disciples, uh, you can now be released to go down to a worship service that is appropriate for you. And parents, if you uh, would like to accompany your little ones as they make their way down to uh, worship service for them, you can certainly do that and then uh, make your way back and join us this morning. As I go back here and grab my table... I have the good fortune today of pinch hitting for Pastor Matt. He is still on vacation, and hopefully I can hit at least a single. That's about all I was good for when I played baseball anyway, so uh, that's all I'm hoping for today. Um, but uh, it's my great privilege to close out the series that we've been doing uh, this entire fall that has been focused and centered around the Shine Your Light uh, ministry goal that we have this year, the ministry vision on Shine Your Light. It's been on the entire book of Matthew, and if you'd like to turn your Bibles in preparation uh, for what we're going to study this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, but before we get there, I would like to just share with you a personal anecdote uh, that you will likely enjoy at my expense. I'd like to introduce by asking you a question that some of you might be able to identify with, and the question is this. Uh, have you ever put off an assignment until the last minute? I saw some, some, someone raise their hand in the very back row. I would imagine more of us can identify with that question than we would like to admit. Well, I have done it before, and in fact, um, I have my master's degree but it took me a while to get there because I put off a major assignment that you have to do for your master's degree known as a thesis. Raise your hand if you've heard of an assignment like a thesis. So the goal with the thesis assignment is that, you know, you go through your coursework for, you know, a couple of years. In most cases, it's about two years to get your master's degree. And the idea is that you're working on your thesis assignment over the course of those two years, whenever you get some kind of margin in your schedule, 
And then when you finish your coursework, the idea is to, pre- is to defend this thesis assignment before a panel of faculty. Well, in my second year of coursework for my master's degree, I am ashamed to let you know that I never really got to this assignment. In fact, I hadn't even touched it. And so back in 1999, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, I finished all of my coursework for my master's degree. But as I mentioned, I wasn't done with my master's degree because I still had this one assignment to do. Now, as you might know, I had the great opportunity to attend Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas, and it was a great school, and many of my mentors went there to Abilene Christian. But I had this one assignment left to do for Abilene Christian to, to uh, bestow unto me a master's degree. And with this one assignment that I had left to get done, I did what any responsible student would do after my coursework was done. I left Abilene, Texas and came back to Ohio. Northwest Ohio is where I landed. In fact, that's my area where I grew up. I came back to my hometown of Wauseon, Ohio, which is a thriving metropolis of about 7,000 people. Now, the reason I came home is because one of my mentors, his name is uh, the late Louis Weber, he invited me to come back to start a new young adult ministry alongside another pastor whose name was Chris Stewart. Uh, this church that this young adult ministry was going to exist within was a relatively new church, and many of my family members were attending this church, and so it was a very exciting prospect as a ministry to go and work there. But I had this one assignment to do, and, you know, I rationalized, and I just thought to myself, you know, my friend, Louie, who mentored me, and I've mentioned him before in some of the stories here, he actually led me to Christ, and uh, I just thought, you know, Louie has his Ph.D. in the same field in communication studies, so he can help me with my research, and I'll just get this assignment done being around him. Well, so anyways, I got back here to Ohio, and I jumped right into this young adult ministry, and it was a great experience. And then about six months into my work, I had the amazing, wonderful, incredible opportunity to meet this young lady whose name was Buffy. And so, you know, it took a lot of time uh, to do this ministry and get to know this young lady whose name was Buffy, and I was really enjoying myself. And Buffy even occasionally would say, you know, you, you probably need to get that assignment done. You know, it's a really important thing you need to do. You just need to finish it. And every now and then, even my classmates from my master's degree, they would call me and they would say, When are you coming back to Texas? You need to come back and finish your master's thesis. And I would say, you know, I'll I'll be back. Someday I'll be back. I plan it. I just got to get a few things done here in Ohio, and then I'll be back to do it. And I pushed this thing to the back burner time and time again. Eventually, when you know it, a year and a half had passed, And after doing this new ministry and spending time with my girlfriend, I finally got to work on my assignment. I don't know why I eventually started it. Buffy may have threatened to break up with me if I didn't get it done. I'm not sure. 
But I started and eventually I finished this assignment in 2001. And two years later, I graduated with my master's degree. I finished that assignment. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a very important assignment that Jesus gave to his followers. It's an assignment that you and I have to do. And in fact, this assignment was the last thing that he said to his followers, known as his disciples. And he said it to them in the Gospel of Matthew, the book that I mentioned that we've been studying this entire fall, which has been the basis for our focus on our shine your light theme. And so the last thing that happens in this book of Matthew is that the teacher, known as Jesus, gives an assignment known as the Great Commission. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now we might have verses up here. I'm not sure if we're going to have them or not. We've been having some tech issues. So if you don't have uh, verses up here, you might need to look them up on your phone. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, Jesus gives this great assignment, and this is what he says. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if you have heard these scriptures before, raise your hand and say, I. All of you have heard these scriptures before. This is the Great Commission, and it is an assignment that Jesus gave to his followers, which includes you and me. So this morning, I'd like to break this assignment down on kind of three levels because I feel like this conversation happens with the disciples in levels. Level one is God shows up. Level two is that God shows up to reveal an important detail. And then level three is God shows up to reveal an important detail and the assignment. Let's first look at level one. God shows up. Look at what it says in verse 16 again. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus promised his disciples that they would see him in this place. That's why Jesus told them to go there because he was going to meet them there and he had a plan to show up because he had an assignment that he wanted to give them. Now, some background and context uh, for those of you that might not be too familiar with this passage. This was the first time that his disciples would have seen him after he had arisen from the grave. They hadn't seen him since he was arrested and crucified on the cross. They were just told by Mary Magdalene and others that he was going to be in Galilee and that he would show up, and that, ha- that is why his disciples were in that place. They were told to go there and meet him. So you can likely imagine the fear and uncertainty and also the sense of excitement 
that they would have had to meet Jesus in this place. They hadn't seen him since he had died. So it's safe to say that they might have been a little bit confused. It's safe to say that they were probably still trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And this is probably why we read the very next verse in this passage of Scripture. Look at what it says again in verse 17. It says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So first, the disciples did what comes naturally to them. They worshipped him. Because Jesus was once dead, and now he's alive. The pieces of the puzzle were coming together for some of them. They were probably remembering when Jesus said, we study this in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus said to his followers, he said, the son of man, referring to himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. So I'm sure when he showed up, this had to be ringing in their ears, and they were thinking, oh my gosh, he told us this. So we can trust his word, and he will follow through. And so, naturally, they worshiped. We do the same thing in here. This morning, we just worship because we have experienced God's word as a real thing in our lives, and our natural response when we come into this place is to lift up our hands and worship because we believe that God's word is true. But that wasn't the response of all the disciples because it says, look at verse 17, some worshiped him, but what's the last part of that verse? Some doubted. Some doubted. Some of the 11 disciples doubted. Some doubt that it's God. I love what one expert said this week when I was doing my study. He said, Matthew tells us this to normalize the different responses to God when he shows up. Because when he shows up, it doesn't always elicit the same response from everyone. And I think that's true. For example, some of you might be here today with some doubts about God. Perhaps some of you have doubts about God's plan for your life. Some of you might have doubts about God's concern for you and your future. Some of you might have doubts about your own salvation and whether you could really be saved. Yet some of you might have doubts about the church, and therefore you're naturally suspicious about God. And yet some might have doubts about the very existence of God. See, doubts are pervasive. Doubts are very different We all have them, and we have them on various levels throughout our lifetime. Even if you read the Bible, some of the main leaders in the Bible, when God showed up to them, they had significant doubts. The father of our faith, Abraham, had initial doubts when God showed up to him to tell him that he was going to bless his life with a son when he was 100 years old. And this is what he said in Genesis. It says, Abraham fell face down, and he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will my wife Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? See, God came to him with an assignment, and Abraham, his initial response was to doubt it. In Exodus 3.11, when God was putting a call on Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery, Moses said, 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? We see Moses doubted the assignment that God had for him. And then in Judges 6, God was calling Gideon to lead God's people at that period in history. And the Bible tells us that Gideon said, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. If I have now found favor in your eyes, saying this to God, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Gideon doubted. God's assignment for him. And then in John chapter 20, we all know this character. When Jesus showed up to Thomas individually, we read in, of Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 25, when Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas doubted too. See, when God shows up, People have different responses to him. And I am sure that over these last three to four months since we've been doing this Shine Your Light series, God has shown up to some of you, and he has prompted you to do something. He has shown you that he has an assignment for you to do. And naturally, some of you have responded to that prompting And some of you have taken action. But if you're like me, some of you at the same time, some of you doubt that it's God prompting you. And you've convinced yourself that God couldn't do what has come to your mind and what has come to your heart. May I encourage you and say to you, you're not alone. The existence of doubt when God shows up is common. But may I also say to you that doubt does not get the last word. Doubt does not define you. It wants to define you. But when God shows up, he knows it's there because it was here when he showed up to his disciples. And he knows it's in you. And even so, when it's in you, he is willing to take the conversation to another level to reveal a very important detail, which leads to our next point. God shows up to reveal an important detail. Look at what it says again in verse 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, quite an important detail in light of the doubts that they're having, don't you think? Quite an important detail in light of the assignment that he's about to give them because The authority of Jesus was was actually often in question uh, by some of the main leaders 2,000 years ago. It was something that many people doubted. In fact, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, we read of the religious leaders challenging Jesus' authority and doubting his authority, and they said to him, or it says in Matthew 21, verse 23, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And they continue to ask him, and who gave you this authority? See, naturally, when God shows up on a scene, there is doubt. But as you may recall, if you read on in Matthew 21, Jesus doesn't even share with the religious leaders where his authority comes from. 
because he didn't trust them with his authority. But since we live 2,000 years beyond this moment, we know where this authority comes from because Jesus told his disciples where it comes from. And as his disciples and followers today, it's important to know this really vital detail. Look at what Jesus said about where his authority actually comes from. In John chapter 3, verse 35, I'm not sure if we have the verses up here. We don't. I'm just going to tell you these verses. You can write them down in your notes. John 3, verse 35, Jesus said, The Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. And then Paul said in Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 21, he said, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. We could talk about those verses for weeks, I would imagine. Then in John 17, verse 2, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So who gave Jesus this authority? The answer is God the Father gave Jesus this authority. And in fact, he has just experienced this authority by overcoming the biggest obstacle no man could ever conquer. By the power of God's authority, Jesus overcame the grave. And it's in this authority that Jesus comes to his disciples to highlight this very important detail. And the detail is he has all authority. And the reason he's telling his disciples about his authority, and the reason you need to know this, is because he wants his disciples to have his authority. In fact, before this moment happened in Matthew chapter 21, probably weeks, maybe months, maybe a year before this happened, Jesus gathered his disciples together, and in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, he called his disciples together, and this is what it says. It says, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. He gave them authority. And that is why I think Jesus tells his disciples he now has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he is giving them this authority for their assignment. I think he's telling them this because he knew that they were going to encounter significant opposition, significant challenge. He knew their, author their authority would be doubted, and they, he knew that some might even try to limit the effect of their authority. See, authority is a big deal, and it's an important detail for us to know about when we are trying to fulfill the assignments that God has for us. Because ultimately, it's his power and authority that makes things work in the way God wants them to work. Recently, I heard a story about a man by the name of Herbert Jackson. 
He tells a story about when he became a new missionary uh, as he was assigned a car as a missionary um, that actually wouldn't start without it being pushed. And so after pondering this problem and trying to figure out how to get this car started, he came up with a plan. He went to a local school near his home, and he got permission to take children out of their classrooms and to help him push his car on a daily basis down a hill so that it would start. So on a daily basis, when he had to start his car, he would make his rounds, and once he got the car started, he'd have to park his car on a hill and leave the engine running, and he did this for two years. Well, his health became bad, and it forced him and his family to leave the mission field. So naturally, there was a new missionary that was assigned to that station where he worked. And when Mr. Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting his car started, that this new missionary began looking under the hood of the car. And before Mr. Jackson could explain what was going on with the car, the new missionary just stopped him and said, Mr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. If you mess with it, the car is going to work. So the new missionary gave this loose cable a twist, stepped into the car, turned the ignition, and to Herbert Jackson's astonishment, the engine started without having anyone to push it. For two years, this man went through needless trouble trying to get this car to run there all the time. Only a loose connection in this car kept Mr. Jackson from putting that power to work. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that he had the power to make his mission work. And he wanted them to continue in this power, but for it to work, they had to know where the power came from. In fact, one of the last things Jesus ever said to his disciples comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, when you are connected to me, you are going to have access to power and authority that will enable you to do your assignment. I think we all need to be reminded of this truth. You need it. I need it. And it's something very easy to forget. Because when we try to shine our light, there will be those that do not like it, and you are going to feel like you have no ability to express yourself with power and authority to others. There will be those who oppose it. Some will make fun of it. The enemy of God will try to get you to doubt the impact you're having, and he will try to render you powerless. And I think that that is the reason why Jesus shows up to his disciples to reveal this important detail about his authority. He knew. He could tell. They had lost heart. And in fact, remember, even when he showed up, they, they doubted. They doubted. And in this moment, it was almost like Jesus was reading their minds and he knew what they needed to hear. I'm sure they were still feeling the sting of defeat because Judas had betrayed him. Peter denied him three times, and they just witnessed Jesus seemingly losing power 
by dying on the cross. So I'd like to lead this to our last point here. It's under this authority. It's under this authority that Jesus gives an assignment. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, which leads to our last point, which is this. God shows up to reveal an important detail, and he gives the assignment. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is the well-known Great Commission. This is the assignment of the church to go and tell the world about Jesus. Now, when I read this assignment, it seems a bit daunting. Does it feel that way to you? To go into all the world and to tell the entire world about who Jesus is. Because the world, as you know, is made up of how many people? Seven billion people? Is that about right? But I do think that Jesus gives us some hints on how to get this assignment done. Because I think that Jesus made this assignment um, kind of broken down into two different ways. I think it's a public assignment, and I think it's also a personal assignment that we do individually. And Jesus had something to say about doing things publicly and personally as far as these assignments are concerned. In Matthew 18, 20, he said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, he says, there I am with them. So what Jesus is saying here is that if we are going to complete this assignment, we want to do it with his involvement and with his authority. If we're going to do it that way, then it's going to be a public thing. We need to come together publicly. And this is why we are doing all of our Shine Your Light ministry initiatives this year together in a public way. Now, if I may, I'd like to remind you of these things that we're doing together. The assignments that we believe that we are compelled to pursue as a church, I had hoped to have them pull up for you on the screen. They are right here. These are the assignments that we're doing together. Three youth group Bible studies in schools, three neighborhood vacation Bible schools, 10 evangelism studies or prayer groups in neighborhoods or workplaces, 15 empty chairs filled in our life groups and classes, 100 multi-generational connections, and 100 pray-and-go team members, and 10,000 prayers prayed. Amazing. All of these are things we are doing together because we believe that when two or three are gathered around the name of Jesus in a public way, focused on reaching the public, that Jesus is right there. And if I may, allow me to just speak to one of these. I wish I had time to speak to each and all of these and give you an update on them. But one, one of these is clearly um, something that is having an impact um, as we speak. And the, the, the ministry that I'd like to talk about is the Pray and Go ministry. Um, our Pray and Go ministry is a ministry team that is led by some amazing leaders who have worked together to take this message of the gospel to our neighborhoods and surrounding community, to the public, to let our light shine. 
Now, the work they are doing is absolutely phenomenal. Now, our goal in September, as you may recall, was to recruit 100 of you to go out and participate in this Pray and Go ministry. And if I may, I'd like to just let you know that at present, we have about 105 Pray and Go team members that have been going out to do this ministry. Isn't that cool? Very cool. Now, some of you might be thinking, tell me more, more about what this Pray and Go thing is. Well, the work of it is very straightforward. Our Pray and Go teams are to go into neighborhoods, and they leave a door hanger that says, we prayed for you. They stop at each house, and they pray for that specific house. And at present, we've had over 1,000 prayers prayed by our Pray and Go team members. Now, you can see how many prayers that have been prayed. They are, reco- they are recorded on our counter in our North Foyer hallway. These are the prayers for the families, the individuals, and whomever lives in the homes that they pray for and go to. It is amazing. And I think God is already doing things in the lives of these people for which we have prayed and gone to. What's more is that you and I both know that God is working behind the scenes in ways we can't even imagine. But we trust that when we gather together in a unified way, God will do amazing things. And so I encourage you to pray for this ministry. Pray that the people in the neighborhoods who receive our prayers for them will make a move towards God and come to know him. Pray also for our pray and go team members that as they go out, pray that they would go in authority as they plant the seeds of the gospel in our communities. Pray also for our church so that we will be ready for anyone who God sends us from this pray and go ministry so we can fulfill our assignment to connect people to Jesus and his church. Now, I just want to give a brief message to those of you that are on the pray and go team. I just want for those of you who have taken on this assignment to know to keep on keeping on with this assignment. And I just want to say thank you because you just never know what's going on in the homes of those that you have prayed for. There could be marital strife. There could be deep depression. Someone may want to give up on their life. Someone might think that God doesn't really see them. In fact, some of those people you might be praying for, they might have been praying themselves for God to show up in their lives. And then out of the blue, this shows up on their door. And it says, we prayed for you. This may be, this little thing may be the connection point for those people to begin to know and believe that God sees them, that God is paying attention, and that God is calling their name. And all this may happen because some of you believed in this public assignment to go, to pray and go. And you just never know what may come from the fulfillment of this assignment. So we believe that God has given us this assignment for us to work together publicly 
to have an impact on the community around us. And if you would like to sign up for this Pray and Go team, you still can do so. Our Pray and Go leaders will be out in the north foyer where you see the uh, prayer counter. You can still sign up on that team even after service today. We'd love to have your involvement. But that is one of our public assignments, and I think Jesus is right in the middle of it. I really do. But as I mentioned a moment ago, I'd like to close with this. Many of us have very personal assignments. And I believe some of you have received an assignment to go to someone who is right in front of you. That is your assignment. Maybe it isn't pray and go, but maybe it's just to go to one person in your life that God keeps bringing up to your mind and heart. And they've been brought up to your mind and heart because God wants to use you to bring them to him. Because God has a desire not only to work publicly and corporately, but he also has a desire to work personally and to go after one. And that is your assignment. I know this to be true because, once again, because of how Jesus put this when he was trying to explain how we go and shine our light to others and reach lost people. He said in Luke chapter 15, he said, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one. When you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it, and when you found it, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing, and when you got home, calling your friends and neighbors, saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it, Jesus said. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. You see, Jesus cares about that one person in your life. That one person needs him. That one person needs you to go after them. And that is why God keeps bringing that one person to your mind. It's your assignment. And so I ask you this morning, who is that one person for you? Who is it? Recently, I had one person uh, come up in my mind, and it took me a while to fulfill my assignment to reach this one person. Uh, back in 2018, I had the opportunity Uh, to become friends with someone who ran in some of my same circles here in Stowe. Our sons played sports together. Uh, We'd see each other on neighborhood walks and bike rides. And so we started to get to know one another, and as we would often bump into each other, we would have friendly conversation, and naturally we became friends. And when we first started to become friends, I had a prompting in me to share my faith with this guy. And you know how it is when this stuff comes up, you just initially kind of push it away and you just doubt that it's a prompting from God. And so that's what I did. I dismissed it. But I have to tell you, that prompting never went away. In fact, it was about a year later, I was having a conversation with someone who knew him very, very well. And this person who knew him very well told me that this friend of mine about whom I had a prompting, 
had been in a recent Bible study. And so I started to think to myself, gosh, you know, maybe that prompting I had for this guy was real and that God was trying to show something to me. So I continued to pray about it, and it continued to become very clear that this one person was someone that God had given me as an assignment, and I was just putting it off. And so probably two years later after this prompting came to me, um, I was going to ask this gentleman to participate in a study, a Bible study. But then, as you know, the pandemic hit, and I let it go again for another two years. So fast forward two years to 2022, which is where we live now. I had the same prompting come back to me about this one person. And if God couldn't make it any, any more clear, this person called me one day and requested some input from me on becoming a leader for young kids in a Christ-centered environment. And he said to me, Someone in your position of authority is what I need for this particular thing I'm trying to do. And he said, can you help? And I said, um, I don't know. I need to pray about it. No, not really. <laughs> I said, sure, of course, I'd love to help. And I was just thinking to myself, here's a guy who I know doesn't necessarily go to church but wants to influence kids for Christ. And truly, at that moment, it was clear to me. I felt like God said to me, will you just complete the assignment I have given you with this guy? How much more clear do I have to make it? And I was like, okay, I will do it. So recently, I asked this person to study the Bible, and he agreed. And I have to tell you, it is is amazing at what God is doing in this one person's life. He is growing. He is passionate. The insights that God is giving him are profound. And I believe that this one guy has amazing things on the horizon. I believe that God has an assignment for him. And I cannot wait to see it. And there are some days... When I walk away from our study together and I think to myself, I just cannot believe this is happening. Why did I put it off so long? I don't really have an answer for that. All I can tell you is that when God shows you someone that he has assigned you, pay attention to it. Because God has strategically put that one person in your life at this specific time, in a specific place, because they are your specific assignment. Acts 17 says, from one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Listen, my friends, God has marked out the appointed times in your life that you might fulfill the assignment he has given you. 
Is there someone whom God has assigned to you? Please know that person is put there because they are already seeking after God, and you just have to deliver the mail. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the great commission, for it is indeed our great assignment. There are people that you've put all around us that are seeking after you, oftentimes unbeknownst to us. And you put some of these people in our, on our minds and on our hearts. And for many of us, there is one person that you have given us to reach out to. I pray that you would give us the unction, the conviction, the passion to connect with this one person and reach out to them, knowing full well that they are already reaching out to you. This is our assignment. Help us to do it in the midst of doubt, in the midst of uncertainty, under conviction, and the authority that you have given us. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And in typical customary fashion, I'd like to just ask and see if anybody would like to respond to God's word this morning. I'm confident in the fact that God has probably prompted some hearts today to follow through on some assignments that he has given you. And if you feel compelled and prompted and convicted this morning to follow through on some type of assignment, may I ask you just out of an expression of faith, just raise one hand in the air and say, I know I have an assignment and I need to follow through on it. God bless you. Anybody else? Who else has an assignment to do? Anybody else? I want to pray for you right now. Father God, we thank you for speaking to us this morning. We thank you for how your Holy Spirit works. The disciples had you physically present with them. As your disciples here this morning, 2,000 years later, we have the invisible presence of the Holy Spirit with us who prompts us and shows us that you have an assignment for us to do. I pray that we will be encouraged, impassioned, and excited about the prospect of this assignment. Give us the words. Give us the stories. Give us the, the um, exact revelation that needs to be conveyed to those that you have assigned to us. We thank you for these assignments because we believe what Philemon said in Philemon 1.6 when he said, I pray that you would be active in the sharing of your faith so that you may come to a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. When we share our faith, God, we come to a fuller understanding of who you are. May you do that in us and to us as we fulfill our assignments. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, can I ask you to stand this morning? I'd like to thank you for coming and worshiping today with Victory Life Church. Pastor Matt will return next week and we'll begin a new series, likely a Christmas series leading up to Christmas uh, Sunday morning. And I'm not sure if the Cleveland Browns play today. Does anybody know if they play today? I did. I did find a scripture uh, in Luke um, that pertains to them, and this is my prayer for the Browns, where Jesus said, um, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And uh, hopefully we can pray the same thing for them today as they commence in their season. Let's uh, end with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for being here with us. May you go with us now as we all depart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.